Hello, everybody. Good day to you, wherever you happen to be. This is another episode uh, of Today, New Brunswick, Tomorrow, the World. And uh, I'm fully to blame uh, that the previous episode has not yet been released in terms of production. But the thing that I'm trying to do here now is I'm trying to break a record of sorts because the other podcast has two episodes in the can uh-huh. and be produced uh so now i'm gonna have this is gonna be the first time i've had two backlogged episodes of the two podcasts each so that is just that is a record and i'm uh, milking the fact that i'm moving across the country mm. uh as far as an excuse exactly it's almost tomorrow in new brunswick for you now um yeah i don't know man i don't think we need to rebrand um (laughs) yeah we can keep the name yeah 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 today the world tomorrow new brunswick (laughs) sort of yeah yeah um i'm looking forward to it um you know i could i could do a very kind of argy blargy kind of view of um i made i made a very important insight into uh, in terms of packing today, oh, I yeah? realized I, I'm, I'm taking all my vinyl in some way through check through check baggage. Yeah. So I've got, uh, I've got about 10 boxes of it um, or so. The 70 pound. So what? I, I own 700 pounds of records, give or take. Wow. Uh, however many records yeah, <laughs> but I'm just gonna be like, yeah, each bag I'm gonna pay uh, 125 bucks to Air Canada, whatever, yeah. because because it's cheaper than the five thousand that it would cost to like ship it by a, a professional moving company. Oh, for so, sure. Okay, you know, and yeah. I even I was like, I was I, I got the, the the weight measure, like lifting it and just mm-hmm. checking to see how, just to make sure I'm within my limits, and uh, I realized. I've got like five and a half years of just notebooks of like writing, you know, personal, <laughs> random old kind of no- yeah. notes and stuff, just blargy things. Yeah. And now they're just sitting on my floor and I'm like, I'm taking these bastards to the uh, dumpster because the recycling, <laughs> just because it's not made of vinyl, yeah. uh, you know, and therefore, you know, like what? I'm not Cormac McCarthy. No one's going to want this for Yale. Like, so... I guess that's progress of a sort. Uh, Anything I can do to, you know, remove ballast, as uh, we totally don't say in the Maritimes, Uh, then, uh, you know. Anyway, man, I'm just rambling. I'm in no way prepared for this episode, but I'm willing to. That's okay. It's it's a loose. Go along with the. With the the topic. You you did have a good topic for it. Uh, Yes. Why don't you. I'll uh, I'll explain what it is here, and I figured I, I I thought the title would be extra credit or mixed media. There's just you know I other media about music, and mine I realized mine are uh, all ended up kind of being you know a little similar, even though they're made you know they may be made by folks you know at different times that sort of thing. But anyways, yeah. So like books, movies, I have. I picked two movies, two books, and a podcast that all kind of, you know, tie into like music and bands, and sometimes like starting your first band and like. Dude, did you ever take like English lit at university or like media studies or anything like that? 
Um, a little bit a long time ago. I just feel like you would have enjoyed the crap out of it just based <laughs> on how you kind of framed what we're, uh, what we're mm-hmm. speaking to. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, and- I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly interested in your topic, and I've got maybe – Three or four books I can probably name yeah. the titles of with some degree of accuracy. So uh, I'm not going to let that keep me from trying to talk about it. Uh, given the circumstances, uh, it was like I was going to do this from the hotel room. But then the uh, Amazon person was like, I'm here and I got six large size Air Canada bags. You might want them off your doorstep. <laughs> I do want them off my doorstep. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was planning on doing what I just did for two hours. I was planning on doing for two hours after the podcast. I was prepared to be prepared. And then, like, yeah, I don't suppose you want seven, you know, Amazon large boxes just sitting there for hours. <laughs> so, in this kind of world we're living in, Dan. So why don't you exactly batter up with number one? Of which All right. Uh, number one, I'll talk about the first, uh, I guess I'll talk about one of the books first. Uh, okay. And that's one that I think I've referenced it on the show in the past, but uh, it's uh, called I'm Not Holding Your Coat uh, by Nancy Burrill. And uh, what it is, is uh, it's a memoir about booking shows in Philadelphia in the early 80s. I remember um, you mentioned yes. this at least twice before. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. anyways, Nancy Brill, it's it's it almost reminds me of I don't know if you read that book Just Kids, uh that was Patty Smith's book about like her early time in New York living with Robert Mablethorpe. No. Okay, that's also a really good read. I'm but sure it is. The, when I first read this, I thought of it as like, you know, the like suburban hardcore kid version. Where, like, you know, just kids is, like, you know, moving to the Lower East Side in the 70s, wherever, you know, and just that whole, you know, Jim end of the Carroll scene. Yeah, exactly. Diaries. Like, the, the yeah. whole, like, basketball diaries kind of, you know, end of the world. And this one's more like 19, it's, it's 1982. And Jello yeah. Biafra wrote me a letter saying that the dead Kennedys need a, you know, need to play, you need someone to rent a community hall for them to play in. So that's what me and my friends did. Like, that kind of, like, when that whole in original, you know, that original sort of like clandestine touring network outside of like the bar scene that really sort of started to come together in like the early 80s. Like it's pretty much firsthand stories about like the Philadelphia stop <laughs> on that particular network. Um, and uh, it was originally written to be part as the first part of a book uh, about how you know, punk rock made her a better educator where it was sort of the historical context end of things that, you know, the publisher was so interested in. It's like, look, you know, you can do the other part as like, you know, a second book later on, we want this, you know, this punk rock book now. And uh, it's a pretty cool read. And it also, it's got sort of, you know, there's like a romance angle in it too. It's got the, the history of how, or, you know, the story of how she met her husband, who she's still with, uh, Al Baril, who uh, played guitar in uh, the Boston band SSD Control, um, who she initially met booking shows for them in Philadelphia. Um, Yeah, and it's just a really cool read about, like, you know, a specific moment in time in a city that's not necessarily considered, like, one of, like, 
the number one cities. Like, it's more so, like, kind of just referred to as a joke, like the place where they throw batteries at sports teams. <laughs> um, and Gritty is considered the local patron saint. You know, like well, that kind of town. Have the most, they have the most brutal sports fans. Yes, like, they do. Across multiple <laughs> leagues. Yep. Um, uh, Nick Nurse from the Raptors is now uh, head coach of the 76ers. Oh, wow. So that'll be... You know, I, I watch enough basketball to find that yeah. uh, somewhat interesting storyline. But, um, no, man, when I think uh, of Philadelphia lately, it's in terms of uh, soul glow. Uh, and if you'd, asked mm. me, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have said beach slang. Uh, but then he kind of came out as, you know, yeah. bad juju around. Yeah, yeah. People, so. Whatever. Um, I've actually I've been waiting to say this on the show. I, I do have what, two of their records, two mm-hmm. beach records from when I considered them still a band before yeah. one dude kicking out the other ones. Yeah, yeah. Going on to be problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So I can sort of listen to the first LP and then the comp of the previous seven inches and go. I'll take it as within a coherent group of people and not just this one friggin' nerd, right? I can still, I can enjoy free Chinese democracy, Guns N' Roses. Yeah, yeah. These are important things (laughs) to note for the record, man. Exactly. But yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Philadelphia, it's, yeah, pardon? You're giving that book a big two thumbs up. I am giving that book a big two thumbs up. It's definitely worth a read. Um, uh, Nancy Brill has since put together like a coffee table book about uh, her husband's old band, SSD, uh, called How Much Art Can You Take? Uh, That just came out recently that like she did a bunch of interviews with the band and, uh, you know, sort of other related folks with stories. But like they were all there for like the night that uh, Fear played SNL. Um, and things like that. Legendary so, cocaine. Yeah. John Belushi hanging off the thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm giving that book, I'm giving, uh, I'm not holding your coat, uh, definitely a, a thumbs up as one of my favorite books about, like, music and the music scene that I've read recently. Um, yeah. Well, that's cool, man. Um, well, I mean, the one I'm going to come into come, will come as no surprise to anybody. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, but in terms of like the person who wrote it, uh, what he's managed to accomplish on a few different levels. Um, so the uh, the book I'm talking about is uh, Trouble Boys, The True Story of the Replacements. Oh, nice. And that's uh, by uh, Bob Mayer, uh, who's, uh, you know, uh, he, a journalist who from Memphis, you know, from Memphis, there about southern mm-hmm. U.S., covering music scene down there um and you know basically you know career kind of music columnist if you will Mm -hmm. uh, pitched you know a sort of tell all uh you know like all people involved kind of narrative to the band uh its management the people around it and uh they just were impressed enough to go with his proposal and it's uh you know considered not just in terms of like the story of this pretty 
pretty unique band. You know, there's the whole mythery, mythery, <laughs> the mythery uh, of the, uh, you know, the self-destructive antics and, you know, this and that, all of which, you know, is out there, you know, to be found on the Internet elsewhere. Um, but, you know, you look at some of the songs, I think just for a certain kind of person, they resonate. It lands with me, yeah. which I just, you know, it's, it's just been the case since I uh, latched on to it at an early age. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this uh, the Bob, this <laughs> there's a few significant Bobs in the group. <laughs> orbit. Uh, the second guitarist, the replacement for Bob Stinson was actually Bob to Dunlap. But uh, Paul was just like, we're, we're calling you Slim. We can't have people yeah. calling Bob. So, yeah. You can do Bob. So, um, and it's just, you know, the story, I mean, the narrative that's in there about the band is just brutal. And it's yeah. like, wow, you friggin' people are just, you really were not hanging on by very much there back mm. in terms of your personal lives or your health or anything else. Um, but you live to tell the tale, largely. Uh, you know, Bob. Uh, Stinson passed away in the early 90s uh, of uh, basically hard lifestyle over the years. But, uh, you know, uh, the story did well enough that he, Bob Mayer, has now been curating uh, some enhanced disc release and reissues of, 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 of okay. uh, the, the discography, writing liner notes. The liner notes, he, he won a Grammy Award for Best Liner Notes for the essay that he wrote uh, to do with uh, their uh, Don't Tell a Soul reissue, Dead Man's Pop, uh, just completely re-engineered the project, you know, kind of thing. And uh, he also wrote uh, a very significant essay uh, for this uh, 11 record Wilco um, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot monstrosity okay. reissue. That back when I was like just burning credit card money, I'm like, yeah. So now it's in you know, Air Canada satchel <laughs> inside there. Um, so he's, he's gone on to do some just really worthwhile, cool project as a writer. Um, and, you know, there's been talk about like somebody maybe buying the movie rights to it uh, or something like this. I don't think it'll ever happen. I don't think it'll be popular enough or people will be enough interested. Uh, but if they do, I'm following along and because, you know, that's just, uh, it's, it's like Kiss Army. It's like friggin', you know, just grateful dead for those who are, <laughs> you know, in, in terms of that. Um, so anyway, man, um, that's right. the one that I was just prepared to speak to rambling okay. than I did. So. Thanks. I'm, I'm giving that one thumb up here and All right. one thumb up here for that. Excellent. So, thanks, yeah. man. All right. I'll talk about the other book that I picked next, uh, which is kind of it's it's you know my my first pick was you know about somebody who was talking about the time you know, being young and hopeful in the scene and how like influenced them to be a better person. And this one is all my other pick is almost the polar opposite of that, which is Mutations by Sam McPheeters. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Sam McPheeters at all. You haven't uh, mentioned this person before on this show, have you? I'm not sure if I have. But I don't he think was, you have. He was a singer for a band that originally started out in New York, but eventually moved to uh, Richmond, Virginia, uh, called Born Against in oh, the uh, late okay. 80s and well, early 90s. I'm familiar with them, yeah. Yeah. And like he was in a few other bands after that, like Men's Recovery Project, who were more of like a noise experimental 
thing um and uh wrangler brutes and like you know a few other different projects over the years and then mainly transitioned to writing he's written a couple novels and uh you know, he was on the writing staff at Vice for many years, and that was sort of the, end of the era. The era of that his 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 time at Vice was sort of the era that uh, produced a lot of the essays that ended up being printed in Mutations, which is kind of his meditations on like a life in the hardcore scene and the just the adverse effects it's had on him, like mentally, physically, and just you know, it's it's like a warts and all kind of re- It's you know, it's there's some re- reminiscence to it as well as like essays about a lot of bands that were influential to him over the years and like, you know, artists he's met sort of through time touring and that sort of thing. There's like a really cool little profile on uh, Doc, uh, Doc Corbin Dart, uh, the guy that sang for uh, the Crucifix, uh, <laughs> who he has a whole, his, his, his whole life story. It's, it's definitely worth reading. Uh, you know, checking out the bo- books worth checking out just for just for his uh, you know his whole story arc alone. Like it's like the guy had a very interesting life, uh, and yeah, as well it's intermixed. Yeah, it's mixed in with uh, you know stories about time. You know, Sam McFeeder's time, mostly in Born Against, where they were pretty. You know, they were pretty like vocally outspoken, shit disturbing kind of band. Um, and a lot of this book, you know, the big chunks of this book are him kind of like just, you know, di- going over everything, he, the kind of things he said and how some of it was maybe more the pro- product of him acting out on like unresolved mental health stuff, wanting to start fights rather than just say, you know, really believing in the necessarily the position he was, you know, <laughs> the positions he was standing behind at the time. And it's kind of, you know, the last section of it is like his big confession of how he basically financed the band with like a trust fund that he never told anyone about while they were playing at these like grimy squats in New York in like 1988. And, you know, he was always kind of like sneaking the money into the gas tank when they needed and that sort of thing, all from this like ill-gotten, his parents like ill-gotten like weapons manufacturer investments or some shit like that. Um, And he's like, a really great writer. It definitely like stinks of, you know, dude who worked at vice in the aughts at times, but, uh, you know, he also wrote for MRR for a long time as well. And, you know, like I said, he's a pretty good writer. You know, he has some good insights. It is very much just like, man, I was a dumbass when I was a kid. Um, in so many words, but, uh, it's definitely worth a read. It's also got like very extensive footnotes as well. Like, um, and you know he goes it's it's pretty cool like i picked it up on a whim like probably late last year and it's definitely worth a read like born against were a band that i quite enjoyed and like i just you know i still enjoy their music even if it's just like oh no that dude just really wanted to like make people mad at him (laughs) you know um and things like that you know uh but yeah it was it's 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 the book's called mutations by sam mcfeeders and yeah it's worth checking out two thumbs up I don't anything know if you had that has anything to do with the crucifix as <laughs> interest man um, on general principle, you know, <laughs> um, good stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know if you had anything else that you wanted to. Oh yeah. yeah. No, man. I, I, I got a few salted away. Okay, cool. 
Um, so for my uh, second, you know, uh, I, I might even be able to think of third. God, I almost, if I can't think of my third, the my third is that I want to spend five minutes talking more about uh, vice and the schadenfreude that I feel oh. for vice. Schadenfreude? Uh, mm. Like, yeah. I don't know, man. A lot of really good writing came out of that and a lot of really just bad, shitty, bro culture. Yeah. I'm just like, don't let the doors slam your ass on the way out, you know, kind of a bit. But like a lot of creative people, you know, um, you know, they got they got good money from some of that stuff. So exactly, they're uh, so even some of like the I, I'll admit I watch a couple of Vice TV things. Um, yeah, no, they produce. Uh, they they the, they're the ones that uh, produce uh, Dark Side of the Ring, which is a show made by partially. One of the two people behind us from Halifax, actually. That's a pro wrestling true crime documentary show uh, that they have. Um, but uh, I think yeah, some Vice, of the content is probably awesome. It is. If, but I wanted to go with, if I wanted to go down a tunnel looking for the awesome stuff, I, I probably, you know, dig very deeply for a while. So yeah, there's. But it, it definitely has its yeah a lot. I was, you know, that, like that, like that, you know, like what uh, that 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 Nazi. Yeah, role. I remember that. It's it's like that guy went from and that guy. There was like definitely a period of time when that guy, when that guy was like socially acceptable. Like in the aughts, there was like that certain edge lordy time where, oh, like you know, like if a, you were just or, or like you know, like if you. Yeah, it's like if you had good cocaine and some slurs, you could get by. And it was like settings. American apparel, like like it was. The, yeah, the, the American apparel that was with those people, like with yeah, the, that guy was awful too. Just douchery. Just yeah, like it's just douchery is what I. Yeah, you know, like little rebel, you know, magazine from Montreal. Yeah, like, and then just all so horrible. And now, like, and now on Instagram, I see Vice Golf, um, and I'm like, is that like what ended up trickling? Mm. Is still the remainder of branded property? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they're still doing cocaine while they're golfing. You know, to keep it Vice, but you know. Well, okay, so there. Allegedly, yeah. That was my number two, anyway. Um, I just, uh, but um, I will, my real number two, my real number two, uh, is uh, uh, Corporate Rock Sucks, The Rise and Fall of SST Records. Oh, nice. Uh, by Jim Ruland, uh, L.A. writer. Uh, he actually, you know, had a career, interesting things. You know, he was, like, in the Marines for a while, uh, you know, was in like sales and marketing or something afterwards for a while. But he was like, he, he you know, I think he's from, you know, the South, the, the, the LA area. I don't even know where particularly, mm-hmm. but, you know, he, he did scenes, you know, he was like, like yeah, yeah, somebody who wrote, you know, on the early, you know, LA, you know, zine, like like what flip side I want to say yeah okay yeah 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 so I think that's what it is from L A from that yeah. era, early eighties 
Yeah, uh, that was one of those like long-standing ones too. Yeah, it was with kind of higher production values and yeah. like need people actually paying money to advertise in it, that kind of deal a bit. Mm-hmm. So higher end fanzine, and I think you know he was on in on it from pretty much the beginning. Uh, and I think it probably folded not that long ago. I don't know that it's still going, but um, all of that to say, uh, he wrote uh, a book about the history of Greg Ginn's uh, SST records. And, you know, he talks about Greg Ginn as an artist, as a, you know, somebody who was just really uh, vigilant and malicious about his business practices, um, you know, as well as being like this really, you know, incredibly talented guitar player in one of the most explosive bands of, of the era uh, in any genre of guitar music, in my opinion. I mean, you know, like that whole, like, you know, they, they, they got a lot of stuff that's kind of filler, I'll admit. But, you know, for it's so even outside just like the standing over the black flag, you know, inner stuff, circle kind of stuff, just seeing, you know, all the friggin' range and scope of artists who, you know, went through there. And some of it's just so bizarre in terms of how, you know, like what it sounds like it consisted of, like this weird lawsuit against you too. Like FST was like, yeah, like just all this really crazy, weird stuff. Uh, but he write, but Rulin, you know, he writes about it really just interestingly, as interestingly as any, you know, any any piece of journalism about the era, you know. And I'll just say, apart from that book, he also uh, co-authored uh, uh, Bad Religion's recent biography. Oh yeah, uh, to do what you want um, and. He's like listed as a, a co-author, you know, in addition to members of the band. So that's sort of a sort of a different venture. But then and he also does novels uh, and short stories, you know, on small, you know, uh, pre, small presses. That I haven't I haven't read any of that. Um, and he also wrote um, a book. Uh, yeah. Keith Morris. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My Damage. Written. Yes. Yeah. That's... So this guy is like really like he's the '80s LA punk hardcore mm. Um So I, I'm just I'm I've got the Morris book. I haven't read it. It's uh, wherever the crap it is now. Oh my god. Oh my god. I know where it is. I I, I gave away all my books. All my books to my kid's mom and the kids. All of them, even ones that nobody there is ever going just like, I'd rather not take it. So, yeah, yeah, well, if I'm ever up there for the holidays, this is make sure I grab that one back. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. So that's uh, my thing for uh, Jim Ruland uh, as, as a writer, and then I guess specifically, you know, the, uh, the SSD uh, book that he wrote. Thanks. Yeah. All right. I will uh right now, I guess I will talk quickly talk about the two movie picks that I uh had. Please. Uh, one of which is uh a movie originally from nineteen eighty two, uh directed by Lou Adler, uh who was originally a record producer, 
uh, like he produced like Carol King's Tapestry and stuff like that. Uh, and then he uh, directed all of the Cheech and Chong movies. But as well, oh. uh, in around 1982, he made a movie that never officially, never really got released until like got an instant wide release until the late 90s called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. Um, and what it is, it's actually uh, it's written by Nancy Dowd, who was a screenwriter who wrote uh, Slapshot. And technically, they take part in a shared universe uh, because it starts out in the same mill town that the hockey team that uh, uh, the hockey team from Slapshot uh, plays in. And uh, it's about these three, you know, these three teenage girls from this shitty mill town uh, who, you know, run away from home. They're trying to start a band. Uh, they end up talking their way onto a tour with a British punk band called The Looters, uh, who were played by Ray Winstone and members of the Sex Pistols and the Clash um, in the band, uh, in the movie. Uh, it's like uh, Steve Jones and Paul Cook from the Sex Pistols and uh, Paul Simonon from the Clash and then Ray Winstone on vocals. Uh, and, you know, they actually wrote a few songs for it. Uh, the Sort of the main song that gets played a bunch of the movie, uh, Join the Professionals is like you know it's it, it, it's a pretty catchy song i've seen you know i know they released it as an actual single like the band the looters uh like that these dudes play in the movie uh but anyways uh these girls they start a band called the stains and talk their way onto this tour uh with the looters and then this like cheesy old like kind of hair metal band whose guitarist drops dead uh, the first day of the tour, uh, and you know they end up leaving, opening more room on the bill for the Stains to jump in and start playing songs. And even though they're not very good, uh, they end up kind of being confrontational on stage and speaking their mind and getting you know starting to build this following, uh, who all start trying to dress like their singer, and they call them the Skunks um, because they have. You know, they all dye their hair like hers with black with like a, a blonde streak in it or something. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's just sort of like the meteoric rise and fall of this like punk rock band. Uh, and uh, and uh, in the end, the uh, like during the course of the movie, I guess uh, during the course of the making of the movie, like things were kind of not great on set. And like Nancy Dowd ended up taking her name off of the off the credits and it's i can't remember what it is. it's one of those like it's not alan smithy but it's one of those kind of pseudonyms as screenwriter um and it screen tested poorly and never got released but it kind of got it, it ended up in cable rotation throughout the 80s and got a little bit of a following until like the late 90s like somebody finally started trying to get a home video release together for it and like they tracked down fans of the movie who had just like had copies of like whatever promotional stuff they could find to put together to like make art for the release even. And uh, there's a little documentary on YouTube uh, about sort of the, you know, trying to about sort of the, the, you know, the hunt for this like unreleased movie and trying to get it out to the, the neat, you know, the, the, the small fan base that were pretty excited about it. Um, uh, and now it's actually, it's available on uh, the Hollywood Street or Hollywood Suite channel on like Amazon Prime Video or something like that. Nice uh, is the easiest way to watch it now. But yeah, it stars uh, 
a young Diane Lane and a very young uh, Laura Dern, who's like, I think like she, she plays the bass player in the stains. And like, I think it's like her first movie and they had to reshoot some stuff for the, you know, for the ending of it where, and like she went through a growth spurt between the time they'd filmed the original parts and the ending. So she's just sitting down playing bass the entire time because she was towering over the rest of the band at that point. But it's just oh. kind of like, a cool little movie about like a scrappy punk rock band that, uh, you know, kind of ends up, uh, yeah, having a, a meteoric rise and fall that, uh, yeah, it was kind of an obscure thing that wasn't really, yeah, wasn't really easy available until easily available until fans kind of like tracked it down and managed to get it out there. And yeah, like I said, it's available on streaming. It's pretty cool. Um, it's worth checking out two thumbs up. Uh, the other movie that I picked uh, is from 2013. Uh, it's a Swedish movie called We Are the Best. Uh, it's And it's probably the best movie I've seen about starting your first band. Uh, it's uh, directed by a guy named Lucas Moodyson. And uh, based on a graphic... It's, it's technically a comic book movie. Because uh, it's based on a graphic novel called Never Goodbye. Uh, by Moodyson's wife, uh, Coco Moodyson, who started out, yeah, started out doing like fanzines and stuff and ended up becoming like big in like the indie comic scene in Sweden. And uh, this Never Goodbye is like her autobiography of like being really into punk rock in that time in the 80s when it wasn't cool to be into punk rock anymore. And, you know, kind of heard her friends trying to start their first band. And uh, yeah, it starts with. Uh, Bobo and Clara, sort of the two main characters, uh, you know, who spend all the time at this youth center that has like a jam space for bands, but it's mostly like dudes playing cheesy hair metal. And they decide, you know, fuck it, we're going to start a band, even though we don't know how to play instruments at all. And it's just sort of like showing the process of them just trying to figure out how to like write a song. And they're not that good at it, but they find out that one of the other kids at their school who's not really like, you know, who's not considered cool or whatever, but is like a bit of a nerd in a different way. Uh, and also very good at guitar or they find out that she's also very good at guitar and invite her to join their band as well. And they, they end up like actually starting to write songs and uh, yeah, it's just, I've never seen, I've, I feel like most movies I've seen about like starting your first band. It's very obvious. Like it's like a very produced kind of like, okay, we've got a song and it's like, here you go. Like, I don't know if you've seen that movie Sing Street. No. Okay. It's uh, made by the same folks that made Once. Which, oh, anyways, God. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, that movie, it's, that movie is very much like, here, we've got a set of songs that, you know, these actors are going to play. And uh, We Are the Best is very authentically seemed like, hey, here's these instruments. You're going to play this shitty three-chord song that's, like, fast and loud and, you know, you're screaming and you know, you're not trying to sing. It's just, you're doing what you can with the instruments. Cause that's like, you know, that's how so many bands start out. Um, and it's just, I thought it was cool that I just never hadn't really seen a movie about like, you know, a band that actually seemed like people that were just trying to learn their goddamn instruments. <laughs> um, and like, there's even a scene where like, there's a whole subplot in the movie where they like are writing letters to another band that they really like, who also turn out to just be like these awkward ass teenagers that live in a different town. And they're all just kind of like 
hanging out being like kids that are into this thing that isn't popular anymore but means a hell of a lot to them and yeah it's just like a cool heartwarming kind of coming of age movie uh and the soundtrack is all like it's all like swedish punk and new wave bands from that era that it's like it's pretty killer like it's worth i don't know if they formally released like an album but like yeah like whoever curated the music for it knew what they were doing um yeah and that is definitely worth checking out as well uh so yeah mm-hmm. we are the best directed by lucas mudison that uh soundtrack sounds like a discogs challenge to me <laughs> yeah. once i get my yeah. order established uh in atlantic canada here presently well okay so you brought in movies and i was thinking fine oh oh, oh i've got I've got two movie music-based movies that you know spring to mind, and I'll have a couple of little flirt. Um, that'll be my my last uh, thingy on it, probably. All right. But uh, two of them. Uh, so first of all, there's one of them is this uh, sort of horror suspense film called The Green Room. Uh, oh yeah! Holy that's shit! So good, right? Holy shit! That is the other. That's. I feel like that's the most realistic tour movie ever, even though it is a horror. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking that, and I was thinking, uh, sort of on the opposite of that, uh, the commitments from. Uh, like, uh, like that's based on Roddy Doyle's first novel, and Roddy mm-hmm. Doyle such a friggin' rad, amazing yeah. writer who just keeps, I, I, I don't I have no idea even what he's been doing for 20 years, but I'm just, I'm sure it's fantastic. Um, so yeah. that was, that was a case where like the movie came out before I was like into hard rock or alternative. And it's just like, Oh, my family put this on the VCR because <laughs> we had a VCR and we rented it a blockbuster. And, uh, you know, like, oh, the Abbey, you know, the Irish sort of uh, just like, you know, mannerisms. Uh, like, it, it came off as just being like, like, it felt like to the people doing it, it was authentic and therefore, you know, not inauthentic to enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, so I just, you know, and I, and I got in. They, they had a couple of samples, you know, the band, like the musicians, actually doing some perfectly competent uh, friggin', you know, rhythm and blues standards, mm-hmm. um, like with energy, with heart, you know, I don't know that any of them, you know, ever sort of went on to have any great solo success, but they got two volumes out of that soundtrack, at least. Uh, and I enjoyed throwing it on the compact player before I was into replacements, before I was into Fugazi. It was just a younger, more innocent. And then, you know, the movie was great. And I'm like, yeah, eventually, like, oh, because this guy's written a bunch of books and they're all good, whatever. So mm-hmm. as an entity, the Ronnie mm. Will commitments, um, and um, yeah, the other one, uh, friggin' uh, green room. Oh. <laughs> Not to go too deep into that because there's just you could do an entire you know thing, yeah. film. But Jean Luc Picard, you know, <laughs> Patrick. He's so menacing. Diabolical, mean, skull-headed, fucking mm. enabling 
sadistic prick, you know, just yep. reflected in inflicting just wretched, wretched violence upon this hapless, stupid, you know, idiotic hardcore band that just stumbled into this friggin', you know, Nazi militia compound in Oregon because they were so inept that they had no other way of getting gas to, uh, you know, go to or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, and the violence of it and the, uh, you know, the, the adventure story parts of it. I mean, I just got a kick out of it. I've watched it twice for sure. And I would, uh, I'd, I'd watch it again. Sure. That oh is, yeah. You know, it's, it's just, uh, he bring the, you know, Picard, not Picard, John, just Stewart, you know, it's like he brings something out in these other largely unknown actors around him. Where it feels like an ensemble kind of film, not just like this sort of one, you know, very kind of guy amongst a bunch of relatively unknown actors, which is pretty much what it is. Um, but it's like whether he elevates them or the director just really, you know, knows mm. their piece, you know, um, particularly for, for, for how to, you know, get that relationship to work. I mean, anyway, I recommend it. I recommend All right. And those Excellent. Are that I'm going to say probably. Okay. What else do you yeah. got? Yeah. I was just going to talk about a podcast, uh, which is no longer active, but it's all still archived. You can still find the feed and go back and find all the episodes. It's like a good couple of years of episode worth of episodes Ooh. there. Um, and it's a podcast called killed by desk. Uh, that was done by a guy named Bill Florio, who is a uh, he's a teacher who's also been a musician for years. Um, and it's him and a couple guys that he played in a band with in the late 80s uh, in like the New York kind of underground DIY scene. And they've all kind of moved on. Like one of them works in marketing. Like I think the other two are teachers. And what they do is they track down people that used to play in bands and who all have moved on to different careers or may also still make art, whether it's music or some other form of art. Have like, you mentioned this podcast? I, on I'm not sure before. if I've mentioned this before. Uh, okay. I might have, but okay. uh, yeah, just to give it a little more in-depth recommendation, but yeah, sure. they find people that have had all, you know, like a wide variety of different, moved on to a wide variety of different careers. Uh, yeah. Well, kind of started out in kind of these like, you know, grimy little underground touring bands and you know they may still play music they may not uh but they just sort of it's like i don't know if you've ever read that studs turtle book working um, no can't say that where he just does basically it's just kind of like long form interviews with people i think he mostly did it in like i think they're mostly i can't remember it's like like late 60s early 70s but he just finds people that work in a variety of different jobs and just like does like long form interviews with them cool. about their jobs and what they think about it and like cool you know and it's kind of like that, but like kind of focusing on people that started out in like these like punk and hardcore bands who, you know, like one of their early episodes had like a New York City counselor um, <laughs> and a library, you know, a lot of librarians and teachers and things like that who like, yeah, like Kim Coletta from Jawbox was on there talking about like teaching at like a charter school in the US and uh, 
Like uh, educators in the I can't US remember. make such garbage frigging money. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I'm I'm just like, you know, here you know, you can make 60, 70, 80 grand if you, you know, put in the time. And I mean, by any definition of middle class, mm-hmm. uh, I mean that you know is is a fine place to be. But down there, yeah. I mean, I just remember like in the B Ed program, like sort of maybe looking at going down there to work in the states, and like forty two thousand dollars, like trade that, mm. you know, plus enhanced risk of getting shot on the job. No thanks. Anyway, yeah. dude, sorry, so yeah, sorry. That's, that's okay. But yeah, like like I said, they talk to people that have like there's like you know they have an episode with like a paste a guy who's now like a fairly well known pastry chef, uh, who was like the drummer in Universal of Order Universal Order of Armageddon before you know before that, and like yeah, like I said, like everything from like like they talked to Milo from The Descendants about his like work in science. Um, and uh, cause I can't remember what his what his exact like science is he like a biologist? I mean, anyways, yeah, like they just talk to like it's just really cool, like like doing these and like most of the conversations like an hour, hour and a half long uh, with these people, yeah. Instead of it goes between like you know their thoughts on like art and creativity. How many how uh, many seasons did it run? Did you say uh, it ran for a couple of years? We'll just double. Okay, yeah. It's uh, so there's a goodly amount of episodes. There is a goodly amount here. I'll, I'll, I'm just gonna double check here how many. Uh, I mean, yeah, well, they had uh, 79. They, they did 79 episodes. Damn. In total. So yeah, That's... like there's a good a good run. Like uh, yeah, it ran over the course of like you know from uh, yeah, it ran for from like 2020 to 2022. And uh, in that time, yeah, like I said, they did almost 80 episodes. And uh, like I said, talking to everything from like teachers to graphic artists to like, like they have an episode with like this guy that used to sing in an oi band who's now a boxing statistician and like punch counter. Like that, like he does, you know, he's the guy that has to keep track of like how many of what kind of hits for scoring purposes would happen like during a particular boxing match. And just like, it's cool because it's like, you know, a mix of talking about like music and like old tour stories and stuff like that mixed with in-depth talk about like what these folks are doing now with their lives and sort of like how they've gotten there, which I don't know. I find that kind of stuff really interesting. So I, like I said, you know, there's, a good couple of years worth of content there to go back through, even if they're not making new episodes right now. Yeah, definitely yeah, check fantastic. it out. And, you, and you're gonna ask, and and you're gonna have links to that. Because oh yeah, I'll definitely have links to that. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, oh yeah, Bug Out Society is the name of the band that all the guys that uh, uh, worked on the podcast together used to play in in the eighties. Um, uh, who are yeah, one of those is kind of like New York like street punk bands or something, and now you know they've had these diverse professional lives, and yeah, I'm, I just thought it was I'm, pretty I'm, cool. I'm telling yeah. you, man, I, I, I end up buying records based <laughs> off of this conversation. So um, once I have the proper address again to send mm. it to. So um, cool, man. Is there any music right. out right now that you're just interested in digging? Or um, Military that? Gun just put out an album that's pretty cool. Um, I think I've like mentioned them offhand a couple of times. They're one of the bands I'm going to go to see in Montreal in uh, the fall. 
Um, right, you did mention that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they're pretty cool. Uh, their singer used to be in a band called uh, Regional Justice Center that were a little more kind of the loud and heavy and fasted end of things. And yeah, uh, yeah like Military Gun are a little more on like, like they're, they're, apparently they recorded at Dave Grohl's studio. I recorded a lot of the stuff for this album at Dave Grohl's studio and kind of you mean, uh, the, uh, pretty excited about that. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they were all apparently dorking out about that. Uh, so it's kind of like folks coming from the hardcore into things that can also appreciate a good melody. Um, and yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, I mean, I'm still listening to MS Paint a lot. Uh, my girlfriend's going to see Beyonce in a couple of weeks, so that wow. uh, her latest album Renaissance has just been playing in the house constantly, and it's been, you know, it's been growing on me. It's that's there's a whole yeah, it's a whole thing. If you if if that's a part of your life, yeah, it's it's around. Um, it's cool. It's actually it's it's kind of interesting. It's like her tribute to like kind of like queer dance music culture uh specifically like black queer dance music culture and like members of her family that kind of brought her brought that influence into her life and like has a lot of artists from those scenes like collaborating with her and stuff so it's it's kind of cool it's kind of like oh i don't know it's a little more than she's i feel like she's moved above me on the single ladies end of things and it's just kind of my girlfriend's pretty excited about it so that's been playing a lot around the house as well you know (laughs) So counts as in my life. Nifty. Well, I'll just say that I think what's probably going to be uh, the last vinyl that I actually collect from this apartment um, is uh, this band. Uh, Le- uh, oh, yeah. I was checking out that shirt. Yeah. Electron. Yeah, Electron. I was like, yeah, Electron. Uh, so that's uh, Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio. Uh, Adam Willard, who's actually the new drummer for Alkaline Trio, um, because uh, Derek Brandt has just uh, announced his departure from that band. Uh, and then two other uh, contemporary, uh, a hot guitarist in some bands that I've never heard of, uh, and a hot bass player from some bands that I've never heard of, which all have very, very nice reputation. Um, and so... Asian Man Records did up uh, just a thousand copies of their uh, first 12 inch single. Um, so just two songs, two sides, you know, 12 inch friggin' single um, uh, on Pink and on uh, Baby Blue. And today I got here today to find uh, both the T-shirt and I bought and I got both uh, colors of it. So out of the thousand, you know. There's 998 that belong to other people. Nice. So oh. that's uh, and that single ended up uh, doing its final set of recording in Studio 606. Nice. The oh. recording. So cool. I remembered one other thing actually that I've been enjoying Please. a lot lately, uh, which is uh, it's the debut single from a new band from St. John's, Newfoundland called Sovia Lento. Uh, they, I heard about them cause they played the, uh, uh, I know folks that had gone up to play the Lanya Vanya festival, which is like their big, that's their big summer indie rock festival that they have every year. Um, cool. and this band, Sylvia Lento, I think it's like one of their first shows at the festival. And they, this day just sort of put out their first single online, but they're just this really cool, like kind of like heavy post-punk type 
spooky, gothy sounding band. Like one of the members, it, it, they made a music video for the song because, of course, you know, everybody just got like a video camera in their hands. They could do that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, definitely looks, it wouldn't be surprised if a couple of members of the band, you know, had extensive new metal sections of their record collection. Uh, but it is kind of like almost like, you know, kind of like a groovier, like, Susie and the Banshees mixed with I don't know like something spooky uh, with a little bite to it um, but yeah Sylvia Lento the song's called Elegia Moderna I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that um, and uh, yeah it's worth checking out it's uh, yeah they're a new band I'm sure they'll have more out soon and it's kind of cool that uh, you know it's they can just sort of put it out online so people can because they're I feel like they probably you know they're, it's they're from Newfoundland Bands from there don't often get a chance to tour outside of Newfoundland, but they can at least release their music out online so other folks can hear it. And yeah, definitely worth checking out. So Violento, uh, Alleggio Moderno is the name of the song. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Okay. Well, we have helped you out, all of you, uh, with some of this great content. Much of it, almost all of it improvised on my part. Uh, and uh, with some timely music recommendations at the end now um i'm gonna make every effort in the next few days to get these recordings out the door um it's gonna happen it's like they they have to come out i'm not a yeah. bad person it's just they're gonna come out um and it's gonna be you know it's just like i've got 11 cases of records i've got a hotel room I just got rid of my, you know, didn't just get rid of the dog. I, I, the dog's sitting living with the kid's yeah. mom 100% of the time instead of 50% of the time. So, anyway, uh, that's all I got, Dan. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. Take care, everybody. Safe travels. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.